You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Not a good Max, just you know. Thank you.
carry me from this hell called where the wolves like shepherds lead congregations far from the gospel's heart to the desert of prosperity Gone with us, where are you now? Emmanuel. Gone with us, be here somehow. Lift me up to the place I In the shadow of your wings Where I'm safe from harm Hidden in your arms Never far from the sound of your breathing Lift me up from this hell Where the blood of children speak Of the wars we've made Of the lives we trade For this desert of prosperity For this desert of prosperity going on this week happy sunday everyone all right so looking forward to this week just a reminder we'll, we will be having a christmas eve service at at 5 p.m via zoom um, on christmas eve it'll be shorter a shorter service um including a candle lighting so make sure to bring one for the zoom 
And then, um, like always, uh, the gathering is Wednesday at 7.30 and Philmosophy is Thursday nights at 6 p.m., both via the Zoom link. For book club, we're going to be reading The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. Um, the book club will meet Wednesday, January 6th. Um, we have some upcoming, we have one upcoming blood drive, January 11th. And then um, we will also be dropping off dinner at Essencia on New Year's Eve. So if you want to help out, please contact Max. And then uh, just a final reminder, as always, if anyone needs any resources or help, please reach out to leadership and we'll do what we can. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks so much, Angie. Um, so do we have any prayer requests or words of Thanksgiving? Now is the time to bring up joys and concerns. Um, before this, uh, your, your community and your spiritual family. Um, you can always put it in the chat box if you prefer. Otherwise, you can unmute, raise your voice. Um, just, just jump right in if there's anybody this morning. Hi, so actually, I have a prayer request. And, but maybe I should actually introduce myself because most of you probably don't know who I am. I've been, I'm the guy that Bob was calling out who leaves my screen muted and on black for the last few months. Um, but I mean, you know, I actually live in San Diego. That's why, that's why I'm not able to regularly attend, but a good friend of mine, um, Anthony Reyes, who attended Central many years ago before I moved to Northern California introduced me to Central. And I've been kind of following podcasts from afar since then and been able to drop in in person from time to time when I'm in LA, but that's who I am if anybody's wondering. Um, I wanted to make a prayer request for my father. His name's William. Um, he already has um, a ton of health issues, um, most prominently. Um, he has dementia and he's a dialysis patient. Um, and last Sunday, he ended up having a pretty bad fall uh, at his nursing home and breaking the leg up in the up in the hip joint and needing surgery to replace it. Um, and the surgery actually went um, well and he was able to stand on it by the next day and start PT, but, and it was looking like he was gonna be discharged as early as Wednesday, but they kind of held him back because they noticed um, he was coughing a lot. And basically what they're seeing is that his throat is not properly swallowing and preventing food from, you know, getting into his lungs. Um, so the situation has kind of taken a, a weird left turn uh, for him um, where, where we're really having to look at possible, you know, end of life decisions for him um, if he's um, not able to recover because, you know, he's pretty much haven't, hasn't been able to eat um, real food since um, or any real uh, sustenance at all for, for almost a week now. So they're still doing a lot of um, tests and examinations to see what might have gone on if maybe there was some trauma when he got intubated. Um, but it's it's kind of a bleak situation for someone that already has that many problems with his health. Um, so if anything, just prayers for him because, you know, he's alone. We can't go into the hospital and right. visit him um, with his dementia. He doesn't always know exactly what's going on. Um, so just just um, comfort for him. And, you know, if there's any possibility for healing, we're you know looking for for all um, avenues possible there. Yeah, yeah. We're so sorry, Stephen. Um, thank you for bringing this up. Let's pray. Loving God, we lift up William, Stephen's father, to you, and we pray for, as Stephen has requested, his his health and well-being, but but also his his peace of mind. Um, 
we, we lift him up holistically and, and just pray that uh, he might receive the care he needs that he also might know uh, even while in assisted living and not able to receive any family, we ask that he might uh, be comforted and, and not feel so alone. We pray for him and that and Stephen's entire family, who I'm sure are going through this together uh, and, and are grieving and, and are having to make end of life decisions. We pray for them in Jesus name. Amen. Stephen, thanks for being there. Thank you. I'm going to go back to mute. Now. Sure, man. Sure. So sorry. Um, yeah, and I know uh, my wife, Emily, is facing surgery uh, this Wednesday, um, an ablation, which is a nerve uh, burning uh, for her continued back issues. And she asked if I would um, lead us in prayer for that. Let's, let's pray now. We lift up Emily and we pray for this upcoming procedure. And we pray that she might experience some relief as a result. We pray for her continued well-being, wellness, and, and healing, and, and pray for her comfort. Um, grant her your peace, your comfort, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Sarah Etheridge, I see that you posted here. Oh, suddenly jumped away with some more text. Let me just roll up here. Um, my stepdad just had a fourth surgery for cancer. So I'm praying it's finally gone. His name is Stephen. Yes, and we join you in prayer for Stephen and for his healing in Jesus' name. Amen. And then um, I'm seeing that Gail posted as well. Gail says, um, this is to everyone. I got to make sure it's not private. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm wrestling with some serious internalized homophobia lately with holidays and seeing family and my daughter. Uh, struggling with the divorce, yes. Uh, just lots of grief and guilt coming up, watching my daughter grieve over the divorce and connecting with that, uh, connecting that with going back to Chicago with Paula and the kids, seeing my dad and family who see me as living in sin. Um, I appreciate your prayers and presence and everyone knowing how much of a safe space this is. Yes, Gail, let's just join in prayer uh, for that right now. And we just lift up Gail to you and we pray that uh, she might um, experience just, just strength in her heart, strength in her mind, strength in her body, that she might be assured of, of your love and our love and her identity in, as a human being and as a gay woman, that she might feel strengthened in that um, and at peace and that she might experience healing um, from, from the religious trauma that she and so many of us have endured. But we pray for her and her family, especially at this time of year, um, when, when family gatherings happen and, and there's stress and all that is involved, that we just um, pray, pray for her. May she know strength and peace of mind now in Jesus' name. Amen. Gail, we love you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, anybody else this morning? Right. Well, as Max and Bob have uh, shared earlier today, we are talking about joy. Uh, a little hard to talk about joy at this time, this season of life, but we're going to do it. It's the third Sunday of Advent. And um, I want to begin with a parable from Frederick Nietzsche. How many, uh, how many church sermons today are going to involve a parable from Frederick Nietzsche, right? Uh, who, who you may not think would have much insight on joy, or living well, but I think he does. 
One of the philosophical issues Nietzsche was really perplexed by in his life was this idea of eternal recurrence. The idea of eternal recurrence is basically this idea uh, that time is not linear, but, but circular, that the universe itself will die and be reborn an infinite amount of times, complete with us and our lives as, as we have lived them. Every event that has ever occurred will occur again and again and again, exactly as it, as it happened before. Kind of an unsettling idea, right? <laughs> this idea of eternal recurrence has been around for millennia and can be found in a variety of different religions and ancient texts you know, from India, from, from Egypt, Greece, as well as Judaism and, and books like Ecclesiastes. There's, there's even real science behind this idea today as some cosmologists and physicists speculate that the universe may infinitely repeat itself, including with our lives, it lived exactly the same over and over again. You know, suffice to say that it's, it's obviously you know, extremely theoretical stuff, but not beyond the realm of possibility. Nietzsche picked up on all this and came up with an interesting parable to help us think about life. He said this, what if at the end of our life, um, what if at the end of your life, a demon were to appear, appear to you and say, this life as you have lived it, you will have to live again and again for all of eternity. You will, you will be born, live, and die an infinite amount of times in every event of your life, every pain and every joy, every good thing and every bad thing, you will relive exactly the same. Will you curse the demon in response? Or, or will you reply, you are a god? and never have I heard anything more divine. In other words, has there been a moment or maybe a series of moments in your life that have been so great that it has redeemed everything else or made everything else uh, worth enduring? Nietzsche's point was that how you respond to the demon of eternal recurrence determines your outlook on life. If you can say to him, I've never heard anything more divine, then you can truly say yes to life. And the person who can say yes to life, despite all that life entails, as a person who knows a kind of true joy. And by joy, I don't mean, you know, you're happy all the time, but rather that there's a kind of positive attitude or a hopeful optimism that anchors your life. Joy can be understood as a kind of faith, actually. Uh, faith in life itself, faith in life's endless possibilities. In other words, joy is being able to say yes to life as it really is, with all of its sorrows and joys, successes and failures, if you can do that, you can know a kind of joy, not a joy without sorrow, but a joy that, that, that coexists with sorrow, and yet in this way transcends it. But such a joy is only obtainable by confronting life as it really is. As, as Bob read earlier from Sarah Bessie, real joy has to be rooted in truth, not fantasy and idealization and numbing and willful ignorance. In other words, real joy is not escaping reality into fantasies of wholeness. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I think we're surrounded today by fantasies of wholeness in our culture. Uh, fantasies of wholeness that short circuit true joy. Everything from religion to television commercials to self-help gurus that are telling us we can, be, we can be whole, right? We can be fulfilled, we can fill up our lack and no joy if we just achieve our destiny, if we just find our life's purpose and, and achieve our goals, if we just believe in this God, attend this church, buy this product, attend this seminar, follow this self-help guru, we can achieve fulfillment and wholeness. Everybody is selling wholeness today. Everybody's selling fulfillment. And yet wholeness is impossible. 
which is a very difficult thing to accept, but absolutely, absolutely integral, I think, to finding a kind of true joy. I don't know about you, but I was raised being told that we each have a God-shaped hole inside of us, right? Maybe it's right here where our heart is. I don't know. Uh, this God-shaped hole is inside of us that only God, of course, can fill up. And yet many people go through life trying to fill that hole with other things like relationships, careers, money, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, whatever. But nothing ever satisfies because only God can completely satisfy us and make us whole. He, he is our all in all. Perhaps you've heard that message before. And the message is, is partly true, right? We all go through life with a deep sense of lack. We all go through life with a deep, deep sense of lack. We, we go through life seeking fulfillment, seeking joy and happiness, seeking purpose and self-realization, and yet we never completely find it. We always end up feeling somewhat alienated from our true selves and feeling a bit empty inside. And, and, that, and this drive to find fulfillment really explains so much about human behavior. It explains addictions, it explains consumerism, it explains why people join cults. There's actually a, a couple of great docuseries on HBO right now called The Vow and uh, Heaven's Gate. They're, they're all about these two cults, Nexium and, and the Heaven's Gate cult, which were horrific cults that destroyed people's lives, right? But, but they raised the question, these, these docuseries raised the question, why would otherwise intelligent, normal, you know, so-called normal, I guess, uh, and healthy people join cults and allow themselves to be brainwashed? In, in these ways. And, and while there may be some specific circumstances in the, in the individual's lives that led them to do this, the universal underlying reason is that we all crave fulfillment and wholeness. And we're willing to listen to anyone really who's offering it, even if it means believing and doing crazy things. Cults aside, you know, this, this drive to find fulfillment is also why many people, you know, convert to a religion or join a church. Um, this is why Tony Robbins is able to charge five thousand dollars for his date with for his date with destiny seminars or conferences. Right? We all have a deep sense of lackiness that we want to fill up, and we all and and we're willing to go to great lengths to do it. And we believe that when we do it, we'll know joy and fulfillment. But the lack never totally goes away. We can't get rid of our lack. I like something Slavoj Žižek says: Do not fill. Do not fulfill your dreams. Don't fulfill your dreams. Fulfilling your dreams may induce a waking nightmare. Zizek says this because once you fulfill your dreams, you realize that they're unable to fulfill you. Um, they, they really can't um, do what we think they can. Um, they may offer some, some amount of fulfillment. Certainly fulfilling our dreams does offer us some level of happiness and fulfillment. Um, it's just never near complete and that can be devastating. It's when we fulfill our dreams that we are left with the staggering realization that nothing can fulfill us and that we really, and, and that can really magnify our sense of lack, right? We see this all the time with people who win the lottery, right? They obtain the ultimate dream, wealth and a life of ease. However, many are ruined by it and left worse off than before. Thus, our dreams can contain hidden nightmares. The only solution for all of this is to do away with the fantasy of wholeness and embrace the lack instead which is what I think the incarnation and the nativity story is at least in part about God embracing the lack, God embracing the lack of human existence. Paul tells us in Philippians, although he, meaning Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, 
but he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Christ, God embraces the lack, embraces mortality, embraces finitude, embraces powerlessness, embraces sorrow and pain. And the ultimate symbol of all of that is the cross, really. This is where Jesus experiences the ultimate lack, the, the lack of God himself as he cries out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here Jesus experiences total alienation and emptiness, the ultimate human existential crisis, right? And to me, this means that Christianity can never be a way of escaping reality or, or covering over the truth of our lives by saying things like, you know, God's in control, everything will work out okay in the end, everything happens for a reason, and is part of is some greater good that we just can't see now. No, the cross says everything is out of control. Life is chaotic, uncertain, and difficult, and even God experiences this. And yet, in this way, the cross also stands as a symbol of salvation and redemption, because those who share in Christ's sufferings and embrace the lack as he did, those who pick up their cross and follow him, these also will share in his life, in his resurrection and transfiguration. This, to me, is what happens when we embrace the lack as he did. Now, I realize that embracing the lack uh, sounds really depressing and, and it's not very inspiring, but here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Embracing the lack really means embracing love and life itself. Embracing the lack really means embracing the love of life and the love of others, which are always intertwined loves for me. If one truly loves life, one will also truly love others. And if someone truly loves others, they cannot help but love life too. You know, uh, th these two loves are always intertwined. You know, how, how can one find uh, the life of others valuable and meaningful? and worth fighting for if one does not also find life valuable and meaningful. These two things are always connected. And here's the thing, for love to, be, to really be love, whether we're talking about loving life or loving others, it can never be a way of loving a fantasy or loving a wish dream or loving an idealized version of life or, or somebody. For love to really be love, it must always be a way of loving and accepting things as they truly are, imperfections and all, now, by, by this, I don't mean that we, we, we put up with abuse or, or uh, masochistically learn to love misery and pain. There's nuance here, but the point is to really love life and love others. We must, at some level, accept their inherent lack and imperfection. And I think it's only when we're able to do that and, and let go of our fantasies of wholeness that we can really say yes to life and yes to love and thereby know a kind of deep and abiding joy the joy of Christ, I would argue. Jesus said in John 15, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let me read that again. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love others as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Christ's joy was a joy that was found in this canonic act of emptying himself of all ego and all selfish ambition. And instead he lived for others and laid his life down for others. Christ was the man for others, we would say. 
And this was his joy. And this was the joy he intended us to have as well. Love. Love is the ultimate source of joy. Love is the ultimate source of joy. Love is what makes life truly meaningful and livable. Notice Jesus' joy is not an otherworldly joy. Right? It's, it's, it's not a joy that comes from believing that we're destined for heaven and glory on high and, and an escape from this crummy place. You know, the joy of Christ is, is not a joy that comes from believing that, you know, we don't really have to worry about the cares and concerns of this world because we're destined for heaven. No, Jesus's joy was a joy for this life and this world. It was a joy found in the embrace of this life and those within it. Christian joy is found in pursuing justice for the poor and the powerless. Christian joy is found in liberating the oppressed. Christian joy is found in fighting for equality, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, uh, and meeting each other's needs. If we can't find joy or meaning in these things, what does that say about us? Woe to the one who cannot find joy in love. Woe to the one who cannot find joy in love. Such a person is, is truly lost, we would say. Such a person has lost faith, we would say. Faith in life. Faith in life and love itself. And, and what could be worse than that? So, so this is the joy of Christ to me. It's a joy found in embracing the lack and embracing love. It's a joy found in saying yes to life as it really is. And, and not escaping reality into fantasies of wholeness. And, and truth be told, there's a kind of wholeness to be found even here. Not a wholeness without lack, but a wholeness that makes peace with the lack. So that's my, that's my talk on joy today. Uh, and I realize that that's a pretty philosophical <laughs> talk I just gave. Uh, and, I, and there's a lot of kind of um, sophisticated theory in there from Slavoj Žižek and, and Nietzsche. Uh, but I hope it makes sense. And I want to open it up now for dialogue if anybody has any any questions or comments about, about any of that. Um, anybody today? You can always uh, post comments in the chat column if you'd prefer to do that. I'm curious if um, the idea of finding joy in love um, you know, resonates with, with, with all of you. I'm sure it probably does, but I'm also curious about hearing, you know, kind of in the midst of the unique circumstances we're faced with right now with the pandemic and being you know, post-election and all the stresses that have come along with that, but also dealing with the stresses of the holidays. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, what exactly, how, how do you find joy in your life? What are the specific methods or um, things that you do that help you stay grounded in a sense of joy? Or how do you understand joy? I guess would be a, a question too. I'm curious about, about hearing about that and gleaning some wisdom uh, from your experiences. Anybody today? Gail says, I think that's a lot to chew on. 
I hear that there's no finding true joy apart from embracing the lack of emptiness and pain. That's a big thing them all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I appreciate that. Desiree says, for me, it's allowing myself to feel the little joys, even when I know that there are bigger sorrows at, at the same time. Yeah. I think during this season of lockdown and, and um, you know, with the pandemic, I don't know about you, but I have felt like in some ways it's helped us refocus on the little joys and kind of learn that the little joys are really the big joys. Things like, you know, family, right? You know, things like uh, meaningful community like this, right? Um, having food and having a, a home, you know, things like that. Um, being thankful and finding joy in the little things can be a reminder that the little things are really the big things, right? That's good. I find joy in looking for like, just seeing evidence of life, um, whether that's in like laughter or going for a walk and appreciating the way the leaves turn in the wind or a squirrel acting squirrely, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that kind of stuff really brings me really deep joy and connects me with that deep truth of life, you know. Yeah, kind of. It's I, I'm hearing you say that, and I'm thinking about how that may ground you, may make you feel grounded in, in in your life in the world, and that is a source of joy, maybe. Very much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. That's powerful. We need we need to feel kind of grounded in in a in a in the world, and awe and wonder can can provide that. You know, you talk about looking at the leaves turning and the beauty of nature around you is a way of you know getting in touch with that sense of wonder and awe, and that deeper appreciation of life and being, which which is a source of, of joy. I, thank you, Gail. I think that's really powerful. I encourage all of us to meditate in such a way as that. That's a kind of meditation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For me this year, uh, it's been a lot of um, a huge emphasis on appreciating just the the journey that life is and um, constantly reminding myself not to expect it to be a straight path and follow everything as I have planned it out in my head, you know, and just appreciating the twists and turns because in the end, I don't know, they make a good story and the experience is what's worth it to me. Uh, yeah, so that's one thing I've been focusing on. That's interesting. Yeah, thank you, David. <laughs> and I'm just reading Desiree's comments in the chat here. You know, she was thinking about that that parable about the demon of eternal recurrence. Um, you know, and the question whether or not you would want to relive your entire life again. She says, for me, I think the response to that situation would depend entirely about where 
you know, when in my life I was asked that, like other times when I'm like, absolutely, let's do it again. And there are times when I'm like, nope, never again. Yeah, I think that's honest. Thank you. Other thoughts today, reflections. What you said kind of reminded me of uh, Merton, Thomas Merton, and he writes that Alleluia is the song of the desert, that you can't experience that joy um, of Alleluia until you've experienced and been humbled by dread, by the dread, the loss of the emptiness of everything. And so he's, he says this beautiful word, Alleluia, that, that like sings out from us is the song of the desert, the place where we are at our parched or, or not our worst you know but you know what i mean you know just yeah, the yeah. emptiness of it and you can't actually say that word until you're there yeah and i just think it's beautiful you know it kind of oh. it ties into what you're saying yeah that's interesting you're talking about the song alleluia not the song just the word the, oh, word, just the alleluia. word alleluia got it yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's powerful it is yeah the, the kind of deeper spiritual awakening um the, the, that kind of deeper cry of the soul is only possible, I think, by a direct confrontation with the desert, which is a symbol of, you know, life as it really is. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we forget that sometimes, that the, the deepest, most, I think, meaningful parts of our spiritual journey are the hardest parts, you know? Yeah, thank you, Nathan. Yeah, good comments in the, uh, in the in the comment chat column. Well, twenty twenty is almost over with. Um, that's a joy. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I'm optimistic and hopeful about twenty twenty one for a few reasons. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Uh, I guess I'm just trying to open up the conversation a little broader. Um, anybody have anything they're looking forward to in 2021 they want to they want to talk about um, any any big life changes coming up you want to share and anything you're excited about hopeful about oh uh, thanks max max uh, posted a link to a song for the end of the year Personally, walking into 2021, I don't, I feel, um, I don't know what the word is, I'm cautious <laughs> with everything, you know, I mean, I'm looking forward personally, I'm looking forward to a uh, new president, um, which, you know, seems like it's certainly happening. Um, but, you know, as far as everything else with the way this year has gone and not knowing exactly how everything's going with COVID and I have things that I'm doing, like going to school and um, continuing to homeschool the kids and we're kind of doing some work on our house that and we're looking forward to that. But there's a lot of kind of 
who knows how it's going to go this year, you know, kind of feel for me. Yeah, I hear that. Thank you, Gail. Whitney says, I think for me, I equate joy with feeling connected and grounded in the present moment. Whether that's through exercise, connecting with someone, observing a moment, even in times of collective despair and angst, it seems to be a way for me to feel a joyful mess. I like that, a joyful mess when I'm mindful and engaged in the present moment. Thank you, Whitney. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, I love that because I just hear a deeper affirmation for life, a deeper, a deeper kind of op hopeful optimism in life's possibilities in that, even in the very difficult times of our life, like right now, um, we can hang on to a kind of hopeful optimism in life's endless possibilities. Um, yeah, I like that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else have any comments or reflections for today? Well, I want to thank everybody for being here. This our third Sunday of Advent. Um, next week uh, is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. We'll be talking about the theme of love. Um, you know, we'll, we'll look look into love a little more, and I got some ideas for that. But um, I hope you all are feeling encouraged at this time of year and, and hopeful about uh, you know what's what's to come next year. I think there's there's good reason for that. And we all need something to hope in right now. But um, anyway, thank you so much for being here. Much love to all of you. Uh, we can uh, formally, formally dismiss at this time. But as always, we can hang out and chat, those of us who wish. But go in peace. Go in hope. Go in joy. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye. -bye.